With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Premier League Daily from Sports Social. Hello, welcome to Premier League Daily, your daily hit of all the action in the best footballing league in the world. Of course, the Premier League, but we're in mid-July. We're not in August yet. August is when all the good stuff starts. The first game of the season, of course, is in that first week of August, and that's when the daily podcast will start rolling out. But for now, a few bits and bobs once or twice a week to keep the juices flowing heading into the new football season. My name's Niall McCorn. Alongside me in the studio, we have got Jim Salverson, who's Hello. a West Ham United fan. Not happy with the phrase juices flowing. <laughs> really? In, in any way. Why not? I don't, I don't, it feels dirty. <laughs> I don't like it. Football is a dirty game, Jim. <laughs> right, right. It is a dirty game. We've also got Phil Hudson, who's a Newcastle United fan. Yes. You pointed out to me that because uh, Jim's a West Ham United, you're Newcastle United. We're also going to get Rob Blanchett on the phone as well, who's going to talk about Manchester United. You were saying to me, if I refer to Manchester United as simply United, you're going to string me up. I'll be over the desk at you, yeah. (laughs) Talking about a dirty start to the show. What's going on? Plenty of Uniteds in this world. Plenty of cities as well. It's not just about Manchester. Exactly. You need to distinguish them. Yeah, definitely. So on the agenda, we're going to be talking to Rob Blanchett very, very shortly about Manchester United, about their signings this summer, about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the Glazers. Also, the vacant Newcastle United manager's job. Pre-season is just days away and the squad are set to fly out. They still don't have a manager. Steve Bruce is said to be the favourite there. And Peter Crouch, the 38-year-old who has scored an amazing 1% of all headed goals in Premier League history, has decided he's going to hang up his boots. So all that to come on Premier League Daily. But first, we're going to introduce Rob Blanchett, who is going to talk to us about Manchester United, or at least his thoughts on Manchester United. Hello, Rob. How are you doing? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, we're all good here, mate. We're all good. How do you think most of the Manchester United fans will be feeling, though, about the uh, the business so far this summer from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Because some astute ones, it looks like, but I guess we'll have to wait and see until the season starts before we can find out if they're any good or not. Well, I think it's hugely underwhelming at the moment. I think that's what most United fans think. I think two sign-ins who are both young players who will come into the squad and hopefully perform is a positive, but certainly not going to change United's league position. Um, what do you think about this whole Paul Pogba situation then? Because people will say that you know the whole point of uh, Manchester United in the summer window is to strengthen. 
is to make sure they don't finish sixth again next season. If they lose Paul Pogba, surely they're in a weaker position, aren't they, regardless of who they bring in? Well, I don't think United have matched Pogba's ambition. I think when he came to the club, obviously he arrived with Mkhitaryan and with Ibrahimovic. Um, but I think obviously since that period of kind of jubilation when Mourinho arrived, uh, things have kind of gone south quite quickly. Um, he won the World Cup last year. He still wants to win trophies. I think he probably feels at the moment that he can't do that at United. Is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in control of these signings, do you think? Oh, I think that one of the big faux pas really the last 12 months is that United haven't employed a director of football and that's something that I think all fans are quite concerned about. Uh, do I think Ole's authorised his signings? Probably not. I think he's come in as a, as a coach and he's done well over a kind of short period of time. Obviously the end of the season wasn't particularly successful. Uh, but I think these are Woodward signings and I think this has all been driven by the board. I have to say I think the way Manchester United have gone about their transfer business this summer has been quite refreshing for me. And I think Solskjaer, I don't have much faith in him as a manager. I think he will be gone by the time we get to Christmas. I don't think he's there for the long term and they'll be looking for a new replacement. But I think the players they've brought in, they've done the marquee signings. They've got Alexi Sanchez to sit on their bench for £500,000. They've got Paul Pogba to cause trouble in the club. Why not sign young, hungry players? People like wan who we know is quality, even though he's had one season. Someone like Daniel James, who we don't know very much about, but we know he's got pace to burn I think that's quite a refreshing way for the club to approach transfers I must admit it's very, it's very difficult to feel sympathy for Manchester United fans when they're breaking their heart about spending £45 million on an uncapped right back <laughs> sitting here having you know sitting, sitting here where we're, where, where we're coming from I think Wan-Bissaka is not a bad sign at all he's obviously he's played in the league and he's coming in with a point to prove which is a, as James says sort of a refreshing change of pace from the players they have signed I still think that they've let loads of players go. I, I, if I'd been Manchester United, I'd have been all over Yuri Tielemans. Yeah. Mm. I can't believe they've let him go to Leicester City. Didn't even see that there was an approach there for Tielemans. Exactly. He he could do the job Pogba's doing and cause you an awful lot less bother and you'd still have £60 million to sign someone else. Mm. Yeah. Are there any names uh, out there in the transfer world like Tielemans, Rob, that you think Manchester United should really have been targeting this summer? Well, I think Bruno Fernandes is the one name that pops up. Yeah. Uh, I think to kind of respond to what you were saying there, there is a different kind of uh, expectation at United in terms of signings and success. For United, you can you can lose one game, and obviously that's national news, and it becomes a huge point on social media and across the world because United have lost one game. And that's the pressure I think that the club is under, and obviously fans feel that as well. Um, so I don't, I don't think anyone's trying to garner sympathy, but I do think at the same time, uh, what we're seeing with United over now a period of, say, five years, it's not, it's not just recently, there's been a lack of top quality signings in terms of the success of the names that they've brought. But I agree with what you, you were saying. I do think that they should look more towards youth, but there has to be a balance. You know, I don't think Wan-Bissaka and James will help United get in the top four next year, but they might be parts of the jigsaw pieces in terms of moving forward uh, if we're trying to build a, a football club that's successful. From what you're saying, Rob, you're kind of, to me, sound like you're echoing a lot of the Manchester United fans that I see on social media at the moment and the general default setting for United fans at the moment is disappointment and anger. They miss out on a signing, they're angry. They haven't appointed a director of football, they're angry. Paul Pogba says he wants to leave, they're angry. Lingard posted a video of him shouting beans at a camera, they're angry. (laughs) Lingard and Pogba supposedly have a scrap on a (laughs) pre-season training mission, they're angry. There is just a lot of frustration and anger from the Manchester United fan base at the moment about the way the club is being run and it's very difficult to see how the club can come back from that in any way. 
Yeah, I, I think there's two sides of the coin to look at here. So the, the first side, really, is that the football's been terrible. You know, we, we go to games every week, we follow the club, and the football's been abysmal. And that is in the face of, obviously, Liverpool winning the Champions League and Manchester City beating absolutely everyone in front of them. Mm. So that's one thing, I think, for football fans. But I think the other side of the coin is actually the response from the board and how they actually manage the football club. And yes, they've spent money. We've seen players come in. As you mentioned there, Alexis Sanchez is on half a million pound a week. But it's actually how the recruitment's been structured. And, and I think this is what angers United fans because obviously United are going to be linked with every top player in the world. Whenever anyone comes onto the transfer market, the first name that gets thrown in there is United, Real Madrid and Barcelona. But at the same time, we're not really seeing any kind of progress on the pitch. And the football itself has been dire. So, you know, it's great trying to obviously get in the top four and then start challenging for the championship again. But we're nowhere near that. And I think that's what Manchester United fans really feel at the moment. What do you think about the Glazers then? You mentioned them briefly there, the board. I mean, there's so many different opinions. I mean, you saw this big Glazer out movement on social media a month or so ago, and that's kind of rolled on. That seems to be picking up momentum every single day, it looks like. So from your perspective, uh, what are your thoughts on that? I I think it's a really good comparison for the Glazers if you look at FSG at Liverpool. Mm. Uh, Very similar background, FSG, they're both American companies. FSG obviously have uh, a big holding in the Boston Red Sox, uh, and they're both interested in terms of sports franchising. The Glazers have, all, have been in that part of the market for a long time. Um, looking at the structure of the way they, they run their two football clubs, if you look at the Glazers, their structure was based on debt and obviously accumulating shares and taking over the football club and then obviously boosting profits. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Liverpool, on the other hand, FSG were always very, very vocal about how they were going to make Liverpool successful again. And we've seen that. That's a real-time success that we've seen Liverpool in the last four or five years. Obviously, they acquired Klopp. They worked through their squad. They bought their front three. Then they bought uh, a centre-back. Then they bought a goalkeeper. And they've got to the point where they're now in the top maybe two or three teams in the world in terms of quality. United, on the other hand, have regressed. Once Ferguson left, um, obviously David Moyes was brought in on a six-year contract. That's a strange bit of business. Just, just expired saying, last saying, week, didn't it, his contract? Just saying that out loud. I know, yeah, expired last Amazing. week. I think Pardew's got another six months in his <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, over that period of, of six years, a huge slide in terms of their, their model. Yes, commercially, Edward Wood is a genius. He makes money out of money, out of money. He brings in sponsors like they're going out of fashion. United can have their official tractor partner, or whoever they've got next, and they'll make millions out of it. Mm. But we're not seeing that reinvested in the squad. And I think, obviously, Newcastle, there, as we've talked about here, a similar issue with, uh, with Mike Ashley in terms of how uh, an owner can take a football club and maybe make profit, maybe make what they want out of it, but at the same time not have the same success on the pitch or or even pleasing the fans in the process. Do you think there's any desire from United to change that, though? I mean, you talked about having a director of football come in above Woodward earlier. Woodward's the main man at the moment. He's in charge of transfers, in charge of sponsors. The club is making money for its owners. They aren't having the success on the pitch that they did 10 years ago. We're probably talking now. Do you think there's any desire from the club ownership to invest and change that in any way? Or is it kind of a case of placating the fans, remain in the status quo and keep on that club making money? The desire is to make profit. 
there's no doubt about it. That is the, the core desire of the Glazers. Um, Malcolm Glazer, before uh, initially when he bought the football club, he never visited Old Trafford, he never, he never went to a game. Um, and if you look at the border at, at Old Trafford, 95% of it are Glazer family members. So there's not a lot of football acumen on that board mm-hmm. in terms of making decisions. The, without a doubt, they are, they are in it to make money, and of course that's what most owners do. But at the same time, there isn't really a football desire there, I think, to, to win trophies. I think what they really want to do is to try and make the top four, because that will obviously help profits uh, and maintain the tendencies. But no, I, I, don't, I think when you look at this summer, this was a really um, an interesting summer in terms of bringing in a manager like Solskjaer, walking away from maybe, maybe the Galactico view of Manchester United, of, of how the squad was supposed to be built. And yet, great bringing in two young players, but I think over a period of time, United need a, a little bit more than that. And if United are going to invest any sort of money in it, they need to bring in players who who can win games and can take United to the next level again. Rob, it's been great to chat to you, mate. Where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm at Rob B uh, on Twitter. You just find me there, Rob Blanchett, uh, and you'll see all my work on Bleach Report. Top man. Thanks very much, Rob. We'll chat to you soon. Cheers, guys. Premier League Daily from Sports Social. Subscribe to the podcast now and never miss an episode. So that's the the Manchester United chat. I don't want to say out of the way because it's not going to go away, is it? I'm still recovering my composure that he compared the Glazers to Mike Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's gonna that's gonna take as I say, 45 million for a right back. That's uh, that's an interesting comparison that he's drawn there. Why not move on to Newcastle United whilst you're there and whilst you were discussing it just there? Steve Bruce is the favourite to take over the Newcastle United manager's job. Jim Salverson's been calling it for the last three or four so, podcasts. I think I said it in February. Yeah. OK, well, we won't record in what podcasts a, in February, so I can't a, go back into the archives refreshing progressive there. appointment. It just makes I'm sense. You cannot replace Rafa Benitez with Steve Bruce. Well, you, you just can, can't do it. Exactly but you can't do, <laughs> you can't do that without expecting backlash. This is a man who's already on the back foot as the owner of that football club. There's no way he's going to get the supporters back on side. I don't think that's his plan anyway. But to be perfectly honest, any supporter of any football club in the world, if you replace... A Maserati with a Vauxhall battery. 100%. Great comparison that I couldn't think of. But that's, that's what it's like. Yeah, Steve got... Bruce is out of date. Sorry, oh. he is. I mean, He's out of date. Look, I've got nothing against Steve Bruce personally. If Mike Ashley or Lee Charlie rang me up and offered me the job because I'm a Geordie and I love the club then and offered me 45 grand a week to do it, I'd probably go, oh yeah, quite fancy a bit of that. Mm. But that doesn't mean I should be offered the job. And, no. th- and I seem to share the exact same qualifications as Steve Bruce, really. There's no way... <laughs> there's no way that he should be anywhere near the football club. And that's not to be disrespectful to him. I don't blame him for taking the job. But it, we've gone back to the the narrative that Mike Ashley appoints guys who were really, really grateful for the opportunity. If you look at, with the exception mm-hmm. of Benitez, and with the exception of Keegan before him, every other appointment Ashley's made in a managerial perspective, by right should be nowhere near the football club. Chris Hutton was from the backroom staff. Carver was from the backroom staff. Both very grateful for the job, as McLaren you McLaren had just been sacked by Derby. Pardew had been sacked by Southampton, who were in League One at the and time. And was also Mike Ashley's drinking buddy as yeah, well. Yeah, so. the joking here situation. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dennis Wise wasn't really in football. All these guys of who, who we've appointed as managers, all of whom have not been particularly successful, I might add, um, they've, they've all been incredibly grateful for the opportunity, for the exposure to Premier League football, having been in a lower level, and will tow the party line. Now, there were some re- <laughs> There were some really credible candidates from Europe that we could have pursued. Whether we could have got them or not, 
I don't know. Well, I think that's it, isn't it? It's you look at Newcastle from the outside as a manager, and I think you'd be really reluctant to take that. And there are a lot of brilliant things about that football club: the fan base, the stadium, the the size inverted commas mm-hmm. of the club as well. But the big negative that stacks up against all that stuff is the owner, who nobody in their right mind would want to work for. Rafa Benitez said this week that he's had more meetings in two days with the owners of the Chinese football club that he's now managing, Dalian Yafeng, than he did with Mike Ashley in two, three years at Newcastle. Mm. So, I mean, what does that tell you about the relationship uh, between manager and owner? It tells you that Mike Ashley's not that engaged. But, I mean, I don't really care about that. I don't really... The the point Jim made, I don't necessarily buy into. If you're a continental manager, working with budgetary constraints like that is just a reality. Someone like Mm. Leon, where Genesio's just been, his net transfer spends like minus 50 million a season because they buy cheap young players from abroad, blah, 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 and they sell them on. And so that's, that's, not, that's, that, a, that's, that's not, a reality that's of what happens not, on the continent. There's plenty of clubs who have financial restrictions. The problem with Newcastle and Mike Ashley is you're not, from my perception of the situation, yeah. is that you're not working with a man you can trust. And this seems to be the reason that Benitez has left because of broken promises that have been made. And there aren't many people who'd want to go into that situation with someone they could, they. It might be they have budgetary constraints, but the fact that they can't get a realistic answer on what those restraints are, or what the development of a training ground is, and, or the expectations of the model, whatever underhandedness it is. in contracts as well. Yeah. Rafa Benitez saying that you know they try to slyly take terms out of the contract. You know that wasn't what was discussed verbally, but in writing, there's all these different rumours and, and bits and bobs. I mean, that's it I comes, guess what it you're comes saying. down to power. Yeah, but I mean, what I would say is that I don't necessarily think that the budget. Benitez has said I was given the budget. He knew what the budget was. The sticking point with Benitez was, I want to spend the budget how I want to spend the budget, and Newcastle mm. said, "Well, no, you can't." And ultimately, that was the biggest sticking point. There were some other issues around. He wanted a bit more money, and Newcastle weren't prepared to compromise on that. Which, when we're about to pay five million to unlock five million, I wouldn't have paid five million for Steve Bruce when he was a centre half. In his prime. Is that how much the release is? That's, that's what the release million. is, apparently. So a year and a half of Rafa's contract. Yeah. Well, probably about a year of Rafa's contract, maybe. Sheffield Wednesday, <clears throat> milk in Newcastle. But but can you blame Sheffield Wednesday? I would do the same. They're, they're, they're six weeks out from the season themselves. Yeah. yeah. They're going to be plunging into chaos. It's just, what frustrates me more than anything, though, is that there's been no plan. It was fairly obvious to anyone that there was at least a chance that Benitez wouldn't sign the contract. You know, apparently Benitez made that position very clear to the club. In as early as March that he wouldn't sign on the current terms and that he reiterated in early May that he was not going to re-sign. This is what he said. And Newcastle have just sort of plod along and we're now the 12th of July and we're about to point to it. There was no plan B in place at all. And irrespective of, you know, whether we're a football club who tries or not, whether we're, even just as a businessman, that's horrendously poor business. Yeah. Mm. Irrespective of all this stuff. My, my issue with, with Ashley is that... Mike Ashley owns Newcastle United, or he actually owns St James's Sports Holdings, which is the vehicle that he used to acquire Newcastle United, and that's a business. My football club is Newcastle United, and whilst they are on paper legally the same thing, they have objectives that are completely at odds mm. with one another. They're not much issues. Mike Ashley's objective is to take as much money out of Newcastle United as possible. Mm. Uh, that's the objective of St James's Holdings. The objective of Newcastle United Football Club has to be to try and improve on the field and win trophies. Yeah, and it seems that we can't arrive at a, a place where those objectives are aligned because yeah. where's the money gone, Mike? Two we're, parallel lines that are just never going to yeah. meet. Yeah, where, where's the money gone? We Villa have come up and are spending money like a third world dictator. Villa nearly went to the wall six months ago. We've had two years of Premier League money and we haven't bought... We've lost Rondon, 
who we could have bought for 16 million and we sold Perez for 30 million. Now, it's not unreasonable to think they were our two top goal scorers last year. Rondon was player of the year. Yeah. There's no plan to replace them currently either way. It's not, like you said. And it's going to cost 50 million just to put us back to where we were. And it's not unreasonable to think Longstaff might might go. Well, Hayden wants to leave I, I because the, he wants to go back to London. The Longstaff thing is one of the positives, I think, for Newcastle at the moment because supposedly United have inquired, Newcastle have gone back with a price tag of 50 million quid, which you could read either way. For most clubs, you'd go 50 million quid, that's them saying. Leave him alone. If Manchester United bid forty him. million for Sean Longstaff, we'll sell him. Well, that's it. The question about we'll sell him for There's Newcastle no is, of course, you will. And and to be to be perfectly honest, he's played eleven games, so I think I think you'd have to sell him. I yeah, think of that. But the problem is, and this is the thing about when per- when we sold Perez to Leicester last week, the club were moved to comment in a statement that that money would be reinvested into the playing squad. But By surely who? that's just a given. Surely it's a given that if you sell your top scorer from last year for thirty million that the money's going to be reinvested in the playing squad. It's not a case of, you know, that they shouldn't have to be moved to clarify that point. To replace Rondon and Perez will cost £50 million, and that's to stand still. Mm. That is literally to stand still. It ignores the fact that we've lost Kennedy, um, admittedly, who was crap last year. He's gone back to Chelsea on loan. We, we're going to, as you've rightly pointed out, Hayden wants away. We're just stagnating and decaying from the inside out. Mm. We'll possibly stay up under Bruce. Possibly. Because I can't see Sheffield United doing anything with no disrespect to them. And I think Norwich will struggle because they're going to be a little bit open, a little bit like Fulham were. And then maybe one other Brighton, perhaps, might just finish below us. Well, I think the reason the reason I've said Steve Bruce for a few months now is that I think he is perceived as a safe pair of hands by Mike Ashley. I think it's... He's not, though, He's a he? player that will keep the club solid. He's not, though, won't Jim. Need ma- well, I don't know whether he is he's or not. He's a terrible manager. He's a terrible think, football manager. I think terrible he's never strong. Won- he's never won anything. He's never won anything, but he's never been in a position at a club to win anything, certainly. Marley, who also comes on the uh, Premier League Daily podcast, was telling me that of managers to, to manage more than 250 games, Bruce and Brian Robson have the worst win percentage. It's something small, like between 20 and 30%. Yeah, it's just under 30%. It's awful. It's Only two managers awful. in Premier League history have that record. Really? And they're the two, Brian. That, that really, I didn't think I could feel any worse. <laughs> but, uh, but, so thanks for that one. Um, it's... It just smacks of a complete lack of ambition. Mm-hmm. It, you know, when when Benitez went, I'd, I was actually on the podcast when it happened, and, and anyone who listens to that can literally hear my heartbreak you live can. on air. Yeah, it's, just, it's brutal. But um, but when he went, I thought, okay, well, let's see who they get. You know, a progressive appointment. Even if they'd gone and got Vieira from Nice, I'd think, okay, I can kind of see it. But it's just so unimaginative, but also so predictably depressing that that we go and get. Oh, well, he's a Geordie. Well, as I said, so am I. Appoint, appoint me, Mike. I, you won't have to pay five million to get me out of my employment contract. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, who, who, so you say you talk about managers from the continent. Steve Bruce, it looks likely it's going to be him. Sam Allardyce was speaking to a national radio station saying that he was offered the job or approached for the job at least. Do you buy that? Then, then you probably blame I, I, the fact I, I, he was I, English for not yeah, getting it. I'm not, he usually does. I'm not convinced. I believe I think that's him. Absolute bullshit. Yeah, I'm not convinced. I believe him. I'm glad I think you're that, not the only one. I think that if if we look, Ashley sacked Allardyce after six months. This, there was no love lost at the time. I don't think Ashley rated Allardyce at all. Um, the fans hated Allardyce, but that's not really irrelevant to Mike Ashley. What I suspect probably happened is Ashley uh, Allardyce's agent said, "Do you want me to see if I can get you in at Newcastle?" And Allardyce might have said to his agent, "No." But that doesn't mean that Newcastle have gone to Allardyce's mm. agent and said, can we speak to Sam, please, because we're really interested in offering the job. Mm. It smacks of Allardyce's delusions of grandeur and the fact that he's just a shameless self-publicist <laughs> and has a biscuit tin head. 
<laughs> thing is with Steve Bruce is at least you're going to have uh, room for some memes for the supporters if there's anything. Oh, Steve the Bruce in kebab shops. Chip with... shops in the area are, are delighted with the appointment I hear. So let's make a prediction now before we wrap up the Steve Bruce Newcastle talk. If he gets the job, which it looks probably by the time most people are listening to this, he will it's have 20 the to job. 20 to 1 on. When? On. 20 to 1 on right. to get the job. So he's so done the job. He's it's got a done the job, deal. Yeah. When is Newcastle United going to be looking for its next manager? That's a good question. Thanks, um, I... I think there's a chance he keeps them up, and if he keeps them up, he keeps his job. So, either it'll either be by Christmas, Alan McLaren, or or in ahead of the January transfer window, or it'll be in maybe October next year. Okay, when second season syndrome kicks in, having kept us up at 16th or something like that, and they decide that they don't want to play for him in that garbage again. Final one. Um, Southampton have strengthened. Brighton looked to have strengthened, brought in a new manager, a couple of decent young players. Trozard as well has come in. The Belgian looks like a useful player. Um, like you say, is Newcastle's safe and grace to stay up next season? The fact that the teams coming up from the, the championship might not be as strong. You look at Sheffield United. I mean, Aston Villa have invested, like you mentioned. I think Villa will stay up. I, I think, I, I I think, think Villa spot on with Norwich. I think they might be a little bit too open and attacking and they might get a few of their star names picked off. I think Villa... I think it's very interesting. I think if we'd been sat here this time last year, we'd have all been raving about Fulham's transfer window and said, wow, what a great window they've had. They've brought in this guy, this guy, this guy, this Seri they brought in. Yeah. And and that was they had a stinker, horrendous. Yeah, yeah. And I think Villa have the potential to go that way. I mean, 20 whatever million it was for Tyrone Mings. Yeah, you, you can get Andre I Gomez li- for 22 million and then I literally fell off. Ti- I literally fell off my seat when I saw that. So I don't think Villa have had a great transfer. What I'll say about Villa is they're obviously going for it. But at the same time, it's all well and good bringing guys in with no Premier League experience. When it bites in October, November, after they stop playing on a bit of adrenaline, I think they, they'll struggle as well. I, I don't think there's anywhere around it. You've got to, to be comfortable, you've got to have a 25 goal a season or a, at least a 15 goal a season striker. Yeah. And I, the lad from Belgium, there's a, a good, you know, there's a lot of case studies about strikers who've come from Belgium, from Holland, and an awful lot more of them fail than do well. Yeah. 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 Um, so he, he's a massive gamble for them. Okay, well, that's the the Newcastle United talk wrapped up. Steve Bruce, by the time you hear the next Premier League Daily podcast, he may well be the new Newcastle United manager. Uh, One person who won't be playing football any longer because he's decided to hang up his boots at the uh, grand old age of 38, it's Peter Crouch who has played for many a Premier League club. Provided, name them. Provi- name, them the, name the Premier League clubs. Uh, I've got a list in front of me. I want to see how many you can get. So he played for... He's his, retired is what we're saying anyway. So, Portsmouth. <laughs> he played for Portsmouth yeah. and then QPR. Southampton. Yeah. QPR, Portsmouth again. Um, Villa. Tottenham, Villa. Yeah. Liverpool. Stoke, Stoke, Liverpool, Burnley. Burnley. There you go, there's nine there. Right, we've dusted them all. Norwich City. Oh, Norwich City. Played for Norwich Was that City. a loan spell in around the year 2000? It was in 2004. Oh, and it was a loan spell. You're it was right a loan spell. Villa. I was four years out. The biggest, the, big, the, the frightening stat: one percent of all headed goals scored in the Premier League. One percent of all headed, more than one percent, one point zero three, I think, of all headed so goals in Premier League history. That's so how many Shearer get? I don't know. Shearer must have more. He's a player that doesn't get enough credit. I think Peter Crouch. I think he's a lovely bloke. He's never been a prolific goal scorer. Funny bloke. Yeah, he's think, had a lot of clubs, but I, I think, think he's gets, always been a solid squad player. Isn't I he? think he gets a bit of a free ride. A little bit because he's quite funny and because he's a nice yeah. bloke. He, he gets the classic sort of oh, he's got good feet for a big man. Yeah, that, that I any, hate that that any so tall much. player gets. And 
I don't think you can play in the Premier League if you haven't got decent He's got feet. good feet for him. It's like when keepers, they're like, oh, he's a good shot stopper. But that is the, that's, that's goalkeeping 101. Do, yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't think you can play in the Premier League, even if you look like you play, you should play in the NBA, if you, if you, if you can't play a little bit of football. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he's, he's, he's had a good career, hasn't he? I mean, he's, he's made a lot of money. He's he's done well wherever he's gone. He seems to be well liked. He seems like a decent bloke. Good luck to him in his retirement. Bagdabby Clancy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he yeah. himself, and I think he, he alluded to himself that if he wasn't a footballer, he'd be yeah. a virgin. So, <laughs> um, yeah, good luck to him. He seems like a decent bloke. Um, like I was saying before, he's never been a prolific striker. I mean, uh, but as Jim pointed out, he's always been in and amongst uh, goal involvements, so yeah. to speak. And you see all these stats nowadays of goal involvements and big chances created. I think Peter Crouch does offer that element of you know he's a big man you know he's the target man but he is he is six foot seven six foot eight he is going to win your headers it's like Andy Carroll you know his game Mm -hmm. but you can't stop him he's one of those players Um, but if you look here you know for Stoke 46 in 225 uh, goals in in league appearances um, 11 uh, in 38 for Portsmouth second spell 22 in 85 for Liverpool so he's never been an absolute bags man has he but he's always been there and there and thereabouts but he did score a hat-trick for England and there aren't many people that can claim that oh his England record was insane wasn't it at one point yeah he was he had a really good goals per game yeah, but did. he only played like he was a bit of a flat track bully for England wasn't he, he was, yeah yeah he against came on against Trinidad and Tobago Moldova and yeah, yeah. Got like the two... hat trick was against Jamaica and I think he bagged a couple against Angola was yeah. it or something like that yes. a, club, a country that I didn't know existed until they played him well he hasn't played for England for nine years 22 goals in 42 appearances for England 42 caps I should say 2005 to 2010 Peter Crouch hanging up his boots um, is it quite refreshing though seeing an ex-footballer going into the media but going into it in a different way he's taking that podcast route mm. almost like Jimmy Bullard went into the football media, but he's the football funny man, isn't he? Jimmy Bullard wasn't the most uh, ex. Well, it wasn't the greatest footballer in the world, but certainly he's gone in and done a different, uh, done a different sort of aspect to Hang it on. rather than becoming a pundit. So you said Jimmy Footballer wasn't the greatest footballer in the world? Jimmy Bullard. Jimmy Bullard. Sorry, yeah. Jimmy Footballer is a Jimmy Footballer. Jimmy Jimmy Bullard wasn't the greatest. Fo- Jimmy Bullard played like three hundred Premier League games or something. That's an elite level. Jim- Joey Jimmy Bond, Bullard Joey did Bond not play three hundred pre- Premier Joey League Bond games. Joey Bond once said that someone said to him. Oh, you, you were just a bang average Premier League player, and he goes, "Thanks," because do you know how hard it is to be a bang mm. average Premier League player? I mean, to say that Jimmy he, Bullard to, spent to more time injured ability, than he did playing. To be dismissive of his ability, I think, is a bit. I think he. I, I think, think he was a, a, another a underrated player. Decent football, considering how much time he spent at Wigan and Hull. Hull. And I think he always did a job in that midfield, and I would have quite happily. He's a Championship player. He's a good championship player. He's not played a good the, Premier League player. Played in the UEFA Cup final for Fulham. Played 39 times. He, he played 39 player. times in three seasons for Fulham. Not that we meant to get into this debate. Hull City had a horrible injury. T- uh, two years he spent at Hull City. Played but, just 23 games. But is he funny? Oh, yeah, he's hilarious. <laughs> Which is what this was about. But, I mean, uh, the, the question was, refreshing or not, of seeing Peter Crouch not doing the usual, going and sitting on a, a national sports radio station, giving his opinion, not going into co-commentary, not sitting uh, next to the Nevilles and, and Carragers of this world presenting uh, football broadcasts. He's gone into the podcasting world, telling stories about what it's like to be a footballer uh, and sharing anecdotes and things like that. And I, I think mean, that's I think what that, the football world needs, I isn't think it? that's largely to do with who he is as a person and his ability as an analyst as to why he's gone in that route and... Fair play to him. It's been an incredible success and he's very good at it. 
think it's interesting how many ex-players we're going to see following that route into the media from here. Because we're now in a situation where players leave the game with their pockets bulging with money. Yeah, they, don't, they, they don't need to work. They anymore. don't need second jobs. They don't need to be pundits. They don't need to be doing co-commentary. So mm. you're going to get a few who really want it and want to be doing something else vocational when they finish football. But I think it's going to be a lot less. It'll be okay. interesting to see. It will be interesting to see. I think now we need to compile a, a list of players that divide opinion as to whether they're bang average or overrated <laughs> or not. Uh, we I'll maybe... tell you what, let me wrap up with two examples of players that are probably bang average now because I am astounded as a West Ham supporter at the transfer business of my club at the moment and the players we're trying to get in. We're obviously panicking about not having a striker at the club. We've got Chikorito, who we've tried to convince to stay by giving him the number nine shirt. It's kind of like, a, <laughs> come on, you are important. We do yeah, like yeah. you. So the two names that are being linked with us today, on the day this podcast I is being recorded, one of these. Higuain and Diego Costa. The ridiculous scenario uh, Well, the last, West Ham's The latest business. one I saw just before we came into the studio was that West Ham failed to agree personal terms with Gary Medell to bring him to the club, the former wow. Cardiff oh, the, player. Oh, the Chilean, the yeah the, little, yeah, the little Chilean madman. Yeah. Absolute madman. Anyway, if you've got any suggestions for players you think are overrated or maybe <laughs> underrated, why don't send them into our Twitter pages at the Sports Social on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. But my thanks to uh, Jim Salverson. Thank you, Jim. Ta. Thanks to Phil Hudson. Cheers. And uh, listen to Premier League daily wherever you get your podcast don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you for the next episode premier league daily from sports social subscribe to the podcast now and never miss an episode the manchester football social is evolving You'll still be able to get all the latest opinions and news on Manchester United and City. But now as part of a daily Premier League podcast. All the big stories, gossip, laughs and highlights from the biggest league in the world. Discussed by real, passionate football fans. And no footballing dinosaurs. You can join the evolution by searching Sports Social wherever you find your podcasts and hitting subscribe. And now find us on your Amazon smart speaker. Just say, Alexa, enable Sports Social for daily news updates on your team. Sports Social, a voice for fans. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.